0: In this episode, I have some much-needed girl talk with my friend and fellow freelancer, Terry Huggins. We talk about how affirmations with an action plan can actually change your life, imposter syndrome, which is something we all deal with, motherhood in the pandemic, and why she slowed down her debt repayment for her mental health. The mental health and wealth show, the mental health and wealth show, the mental health and wealth show. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy. And I know you are ready for these amazing conversations. But before you listen, I want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money, as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests. I'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional, so content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide, so if you're currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much, and enjoy the show. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, I'm interviewing my friend, Terry Huggins. Terry is a freelance journalist, writer, and dance fitness instructor, and is the self-proclaimed queen of expression who is convinced life becomes terrific once you say it is. Yes, love it. Her work can be found in publications such as Essence, Parents, Good Housekeeping, Huffington
1: Post, and more. I'm super excited to have you here, Terry. Hi, I'm so happy we finally get to do this because I've had a lot of fun chatting with you, you know, off recordings. So it's <laughs> nice to do this.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm so excited that you're here. Just for some backstory for everybody, we met on the internet, I think probably Twitter first and then Instagram second. And one of the things that connected me to her is she's written about personal finance and then she's also big into quotes and affirmations and She's always posting these daily quotes every day that I always find so grounding and motivating. And, you know, I wanted to talk about that because, you know, I know you have said that there's one quote in particular that changed your life. And that is, hang in there. You are stronger than you know. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, why that quote really resonated with you and how it changed
1: your life. So... I am a huge cornball who (laughs) loves all these quotes. And when I was younger, maybe like 10, 12 years younger, I had a habit of hiding quotes everywhere. You know, I'd write them down, put it, you know, on a post it, hide them in books, hide them in cabinets, laundry, wherever. And it was always a pleasant surprise when I found it. Some days it would, you know, it would just pick up my spirit, you know, when I was already down and some days I was already happy and it was just a nice surprise. Um, this one day in particular, I found it in a book. I was working a job in a real estate office. It was in the economic recession. So what, 2009? And I was a recent college graduate, and I was making $10 an hour. And it, you know, (laughs) I don't really think that's a good salary for anybody. No, it's Um, not. (laughs) And I definitely remember asking my boss (laughs) for a raise. And he declined my raise and I was feeling so down, not maybe 20 minutes later, I got a phone call from a friend of mine who just got a promotion at her job. So here I am feeling down that I, you know, did not get a raise from $10 an hour, which was like insulting as itself. And, you know, then one of my good friends, like I just got a promotion and I'm like, well, great, what the hell is wrong with me? And that's when actually, I found it in a checkbook. That was a thing. Cause I remember I was (laughs) writing a check to pay off one of my student loans and I'm like, and that check, it was like $478. Right. (laughs) And I opened up my checkbook and I found it in there, like, hang in there. You're stronger than, you know. And I'm like, oh my God, like if this isn't a sign, I don't know what is. And I needed it so much. And from that, it really gave me the strength to quit my job and really work towards being a full-time freelance writer. I can't say it's because of that note that I did it because there was a lot of in-between, um, you know, saving up money, getting clients, et cetera. But that was really like the driving force that helped me realize like, okay, I am stronger. I can do this. Like, this isn't it for me. So um, that that's really why that quote was so meaningful to me because- You know, I always say that quotes really don't mean anything if it doesn't push you to do anything.
0: I love that. And I think that's so important to, you know, mention that this one quote led you to quit your job and start doing freelance writing. And that's another thing we've connected over is, you know, freelance writing and and getting started in this very weird career path that, you know, (laughs) a lot of people don't understand. But I think that's so amazing that you... Kind of took a stand and were like, I deserve way more than $10 an hour and I'm going to be self employed and make even more. And I have a similar story to you because I was making $10 to $12 an hour in Portland. I eventually did find a full time job making $31,000. But, you know, even then I had a master's degree and I was like, I feel like I'm worth way more. And eventually I did quit to become a full time freelance writer as well. And I always tell people that that first year of self-employment i doubled my income to 60,000 and that one step was the most crucial part to me in paying off debt aside from staying in portland with an extremely low cost of living but it you know that self-employment right. really got me out of the nonprofit low pay trap like i know for many people quitting your job for self-employment is very very risky i definitely think it's not something you should do you know willy-nilly without thinking about it. But it sounds like for us, it really got us out of that kind of low pay trap into something much more meaningful, much more fulfilling, and much better paid as well.
1: Exactly. Um, You know, There's something to be said about being completely in control of your finances. And starting freelance allowed me to do that. I was able to choose my clients. I was able to say, this is how much I want to make per hour. I was able to write what I wanted to write about. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's definitely some things about freelancing that I would rather do without, <laughs> but it it was great being able to have that freedom. And yeah, so leaving that job was hard because it actually was a good environment. I liked my supervisor. I liked my coworkers. They were, they were actually nice people to work with, but I realized that there was no growth there. I mean, one, it was a real estate company and we were in the middle of a recession, <laughs> so... Yeah. I, there's a good chance he wanted to give me a raise, but he just couldn't just because of the state of the economy at that point. But I realized, you know, I had to leave so I can grow. And, you know, what they say, what doesn't change, what doesn't change you, you know, you won't grow from it. So I had to go. And it was really a great decision because, like I said, I have more freedom over my income. I could choose my hours. And fast forward now to the pandemic, having the freedom as a freelance writer has definitely been a blessing as I deal with, you know, two small children. <laughs> With virtual school and who are attached at my hip.
0: Yeah, let's actually dive into that because I know you, know you are managing being a parent to two young children while also working from home during the pandemic. And that has been incredibly difficult for I think all parents, but especially moms. What do you think are the biggest mental health and wealth issues that moms are facing right now during the pandemic? And Obviously, anything that you're experiencing personally or or kind of your thoughts around the matter.
1: I think one of the biggest things that, you know, the struggles that moms are facing right now is just feeling like you have to do it all alone and nobody is willing to help. And when I say nobody, I mean like, you can't really rely on the schools. You can't really rely on the government to help you. And then, you know, those moms that are working, unfortunately, the pay inequalities don't exactly help. So many mothers have actually had to quit their jobs because they had to choose between, you know, helping their kids with um, virtual school now or going to work. And it's like, and what do you do? Um, I know for myself, it's it's been very hard. I mean, like I said, I have a four and a half year old, and a one year old, and they do not yet understand the concept of independent play. So I am literally with them 24 seven. And it's hard because you feel like you're always failing in one area. I'm either, you know, failing as a mom and I'm really killing it at work or I'm failing as a wife, but I'm really doing great with work and being a mom. But what really helped is realizing that there really is no such thing as having it all. We, as women, we strive to have it all, you know, the perfect relationships, the perfect um, job and everything. You can't have it all at once because you're always taking your focus away from something else. So what's really helped me is just, like I said, recognizing like, okay, you know what today I'm just going to be a great mom and it's okay if I don't get to work today or if I don't get to do wifely things today, I'm just going to be a great mom tomorrow. Let's see. I'm going to be killing it at work. The key is to make sure that I'm not failing at everything at once. (laughs) as long as I'm <laughs> thriving. As long as I'm thriving yes. in one area that I'm okay. But it's it's really like impossible to be thriving in all areas at one time. You're only one person.
0: Totally. Yeah, and I think there's so much difficulty right now because it just feels like you're making an impossible decision. There's been this whole, you know, should I bring my kids back to school or should I keep them home and it just both options just seem impossible. And I think this really kind of grows out of the larger systemic issue of like, stay at home moms versus working moms. And it's like, some moms stay at home, you know, kind of giving up their careers, which can affect their finances. And some of them are judged for that, while others, they go to work and they provide. And then they're judged for how come you're not, you know, spending time with your children. And it's like, wait, so there's really no good option then? Because it seems like everyone's going to judge you and think that you're making the wrong decision anyways. And I just feel so much empathy for moms because it feels like two impossible decisions. And I feel like the pandemic has really highlighted this even
1: further and has made it even more complicated. Yeah, it it really has. And you know, like you said, like every single person has an opinion, everybody, like it's, it's a lose, lose situation. So what's helped me is just one, being honest with myself about my time and two, just doing what's best for my, for myself and my family, because you're not going to please everybody. And honestly, I'm not here to please everybody. So you just have to focus on what's going to make yourself and your family healthy and be honest with what you can do. Uh, That's really all you can do. I know for myself, when it comes to work, I mean, it kind of sucks, but my best work is really at 4 a.m. because that's when the kids (laughs) are sleeping. Yeah. And fortunately, I've always been a morning person, but, you know, who really wants to get up at 4 a.m. to actually do work until the kids wake up? And I go to bed late. I don't really get to sleep until like midnight because I'm doing kid stuff. And then I have to like, so I'm a lot of times I'm running on literally four hours of sleep a day. But the benefit of it all is because I have less time because of the pandemic, it has forced me to really narrow my focus and be more mindful of how I'm spending my time. Mm -hmm. You know, when you only have like an hour of free time, I think I'm like, do I really want to sit here and watch this mindless TV? Or do I want to actually, you know, do some pole dancing to work out? Because yes, I pole dance. Love (laughs) it. It's amazing. (laughs) Um. Or when it comes to a client, do I really want to sit here and write this article, this endless article that has a whole lot of research on a topic that I really can't stand? Or am I going to decline and you know wait for the better paying client on something that I actually really want to write about? So the pandemic, I mean, as difficult as it is uh, being a mother, or even if you're not a mother, it's hard. It has forced me to really recognize what my focus is and just be more mindful of it.
0: Yeah, I think the pandemic has taught all of us what is really important. You know, we've all kind of had to get back to basics in a way of, you know, we're stripping away all of our hobbies and things to do and, you know, our relationships. And we're just kind of home with our thoughts for the first time in a long time, maybe Mm -hmm. ever. And so it's that time to really focus on, you know, like what is important to me? What do I want out of life? And, you know, with so much going on, like, we realize we do have one life. And every time I decide to spend my time in one way, that's at the exception of something else. So how can I spend my time in a way that is in accordance with my values
1: and that's going to make me
0: happy and also support my mental health and wealth? Exactly,
1: exactly. Because I mean, time is, it's the most precious thing we have. It, It really is. And I've been telling myself this lately. And as you know, having paid off all your debt, being debt-free is still a goal of mine, but I actually still do have a lot of student loans and I focused on it for a very long time. But then I was, I'm like, you know, I can't live like this either. Mm -hmm. Um, unfortunately, I feel like a lot of people in the debt-free community, they focus so much on just paying off debt and not enjoying life. And a lot of people make you feel guilty for the things that you do spend money on. And I didn't want to live in guilt. So yes, paying off debt is still a goal of mine. And it will always be a goal of mine until it is done. Like I was so excited because today I actually just paid off a medical bill. And I was like, Yay, like closer. Closer. <laughs> Partay, but yes. Right? But it's it's not everything. So that's something else the pandemic has, you know, taught, you know, again, just time. Like, do I really want to spend this time feeling guilty about past purchases and the debt that I have? Or do I want to spend this time, you know? Yes, being responsible for the financial missteps that I've taken, but also enjoying life in the process.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that because I get a lot of praise for, oh my gosh, you paid off debt, da da da, you worked so hard. And it's like, yeah, I did. But one thing that I don't mention often afterwards, because people don't necessarily ask me about the process, is like, I worked seven days a week for like five years. And now in retrospect, looking back, I'm like, I wouldn't do that again. Like, it really affected my mental health. It affected my relationships. It affected my physical health. You know, it affected the day job that I did have before I quit. And I made it to the other side. But if I were to do things differently, I definitely wouldn't have hustled so hard because it did affect me. And you know, I look back and I was totally drinking the hustle Kool Aid, thinking it, yeah, look at me. And it's like, mm-hmm. I'm tired. I'm anxious. I'm stressed out. And I'm already like clumsy by nature. And I ended up getting like more clumsy. At one point, I like ran into a wall and like had a gash on my eyebrow oh, no. and ha- had to like go to the hospital to make sure I didn't need stitches. And I was like, making all these dumb mistakes because I was tired. I was like, if I slow down, I'll be okay. But I keep rushing and going from thing to thing to thing. And, you know, we can only do so much. So I think, you know, for anyone listening, if you've read any part of my story, yes, I want you to be inspired, but also don't necessarily do what I did, you know, hustling all the time. Like, If I can write another book in the future, I'm definitely going to mention that because I do regret hustling so hard at the expense of everything else.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, because we've become a culture that glorifies doing everything so quickly. And it's like, you know, it's okay if you take your time, it's okay. And I think one thing that it did to me is... And I can't put this all in the personal finance and debt free community because some of it, you know, I got to take responsibility for myself too. But I know for me, it made me afraid to spend money. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I'm working on still to this day that, you know, because I feel like every single purchase I was making, I was thinking, all right, well yeah, I could spend $5 on this, you know, smoothie that will really make me happy right now, or I could put yeah. that $5 towards, you know, paying off my student loans. And I mean, neither one was really a bad choice, but I think we forget that you also can spend money on things that bring you joy. Everything does not have to be about paid off now, paid off. I'm like, "Well, that's $5 closer to me paying off this debt." I can wait to have a smoothie when it's done. Like, what's up, debt-free And then you find yourself missing out on life. Um, So like I said, I'm still, I still get scared to spend money sometimes. And it's something that I'm working through and I've gotten much better, but I started telling myself trust in abundance. Money comes to me all the time. (laughs) Yes. So um, that's what I tell myself to help me work through that. It's, uh, it's a process. Yeah, I love that.
0: One of um, Marie Forleo's money mindset hacks is to always say there's more where that came from, you know, whenever she's spending money and kind of feeling that money scarcity coming up and that financial anxiety. And, you know, I totally understand that feeling of when you're paying off debt, like there's this fear of spending money, like, oh, my gosh, I should be, you know, paying this towards debt or, oh, my gosh. ah." And, you know, we need to kind of heal that part of ourselves. And then, yeah, realize that more money can come our way, and, and there's more where that came from, because money, unlike time, is a renewable resource. We can continue to make more money, but time is something that we we can't get back, so I think you're doing a good job of balancing that and doing the best you can and now, I want to do congratulate you on publishing your ebook on actionable quotes. I think that's Yay. so amazing, like woohoo. You know, you're providing action items to these inspirational quotes. And, you know, I'd love for you to share more about that with your audience and how this can help them with their mental health and wealth.
1: I would love to. Um, So we'll backtrack to my story about my favorite quote hang in there, you're stronger than you know, which I don't even know where it came from. I remember reading it in a book or somewhere. So, (laughs) but it just stuck with me. And, you know, as you think about it, it was, a powerful quote for me personally, just because what I was going through in that time, but what made it so great was that it actually pushed me to do something. And I think that's what people miss when they, you know, they fall in love with these quotes. Like how many times do you go on to Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and people like the quote they share and they'd be like 100. Yes, this facts. And then that's it. Like they don't do anything else. That's it. Like it just goes to die. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe it will show up in your Facebook memories a year from yeah. now, <laughs> but nothing happens. So I wanted to write this ebook to help people actually apply it to their lives because, you know, these inspirational quotes and these motivational things, they are, they're supposed to light the fire. They are not the fire. You are the fire and you have to do something with it. Ooh, yes. So that's, that's where it came from. Just, you know. We have this bad obsession with just sharing quotes. You end up down a rabbit hole of just finding more quotes on Pinterest. And then an hour of your time goes by. And you're like, what the hell did I do with my time? Like, oh, that's right. <laughs> I was just sharing all these quotes on Facebook. I didn't really do anything about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes.
1: So, that's really why I wanted to write this. I totally agree with you.
0: And it actually reminds me when I was creating Lola Retreat. And one of the things I really wanted to do with the Lola Retreat sessions was to have really actionable task-oriented sessions with Lola Retreat because I was like, I've been to so many conferences where they have what I call inspiration porn, where they make you feel super good and you're so inspired, but then you leave and you're like, Uh okay, but what do I do next? And I've been to so many conferences like that where you get all riled up and you feel so good, but then you leave and you're like, but wait, what am I supposed to do? And I was like, I don't want to create a conference like that. And so I told all of my speakers – you know, I really need the sessions to be actionable, resourceful, inspirational, and educational. It needs to hit on all four of those points. But, you know, we got to hook them in with the inspiration, and then we got to get to the actionable and the resourceful because we need people to leave here with an action plan. Like they're not paying me money to not have a plan after this, right? Like as much as I am a business owner, I'm like, don't pay me if I'm not gonna like set you on a path that will help you, right? So, right. You know, that's something that I totally agree with. Like, let's get away from the inspiration porn and let's get into the action, <laughs> the real action.
1: Exactly, exactly. Because I mean, a quote is only gonna do so much. I mean, I think we resonate with all this inspiration because it it's, it validates your feelings, and that's really all you want. You want to feel validated. You want to know that what you're thinking isn't stupid, that you're not alone. But once you get that validation, you know it's like, okay, what next? You, it's great that you feel good, but you need to do something after you you get that. Um, but what I I do like to point out, and I do mention it in the ebook towards the end, is that a quote is only going to do so much. A lot of these quotes don't put ideas in your head. You already have the idea. The quote just helps you feel better about what's already in your head. So if you don't find anything in this ebook now that actually resonates you, don't think that you don't already have something good within you. You don't need somebody else's permission. And I I feel like sometimes people look to these quotes because they just need permission to feel what they're feeling or do what they want to do. You don't need permission. This is not putting any idea in your head. You already have the idea. This is just supposed to push you to take action with the ideas in your head or fix the problems that you already know you have, whatever.
0: Yes, I love that. I think that it's so important to give yourself permission to do the things you want to do, to live the way you want to live, to take action on things that are going to be difficult but are going to be worth it in the long run. You know, I think a lot of us kind of feel stuck in a box in a way because of our families or our culture or our career or this and that. And I talked to so many people in a variety of aspects of my business who kind of feel this stuckness. And, you know, I always try to to tell them that, like, give yourself permission to be who you want to be, say what you want to say. And I often tell people that if you have the courage to do that, I bet you everyone else around you will start to have more courage too. And they'll be like, oh, I'm so glad that I don't have to pretend anymore to just be this one way or to be like everybody else and that I can do what I want. And it's like, at the end of the day, it's your life. We have a very short amount of time on this earth and something that I like to do as a practice, both for mental health and for kind of guidance on what I want to do is like, when I'm on my deathbed, am I going to be worrying about this? No, If I'm on my deathbed, am I going to regret that I didn't do this? Mm, Probably. Then I should probably do it because I'm the type of person that I I try to live without regrets as much as possible. I'd much rather make a mistake and then own up to it than always be like, what if? So, you know, I think it's important to give yourself permission. I love what you just said.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, because just like you said, life is short. And at the same time, life is really long, too. It's <laughs> yeah. it's a weird way to think about it. Life is short, but it's long. Do you want to, mm-hmm. you could be like, on my deathbed, am I going to regret this? Or am I going to regret this for the rest of my life? <laughs> but regardless, you don't want to live with regret. Yeah, do I want to be doing this for 30 years? <laughs> Exactly. It's exactly like it's 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 long but short. And bottom line, you just don't want to regret it. That's it. So be whoever you say you are. And that's it. Yes. So I'm curious, you know, when
0: you're having a bad mental health day, what quote or affirmation kind of gets you into a better headspace? Kind of what I like to call mental chiropractic work is a nice kind of adjustment for you.
1: There's quite a few of them. <laughs> But one of my favorites that has actually gotten me through is even on my worst days or no, even on my darkest days, I still shine brightly and that has gotten me through so much or, you know, more specific to mothers. I'm like, even on my worst day, I'm still an amazing mother. And that one changed me a lot. In the beginning of the pandemic, I was a mess like I was a mess. As I mentioned, you know, I have um, two kids. One of them is in virtual school and there were so many meetings to juggle. Like everything was on zoom. There were conferences with his teacher and, you know, with this gym teacher. Then I had conferences with my, with my work um related things. And I was like forgetting things. And I remember I missed like two appointments with his teacher and I'm like, my God, I'm such a bad mom, and I kept saying it over and over. And my husband actually stopped me, and he's like, do you stop saying that? Like, just because you forgot a mistake, a uh, forgotten point does not make you a bad mom." And I didn't realize how much I said that to myself until he called me on it. After that, I remember changing it, and I was like, "You know what? Even on my worst days, I'm still an amazing mother." And seriously, that changed everything. After I told myself that constantly. I, you know, I was making my appointments, I was feeling better, like I was like, on top of the mom game, I was on top of the work game, everything, it's just amazing what a simple mind shift can do to you. So that's a long answer to my question. (laughs) No, I
0: think that's amazing. I think that's amazing. And I'm so glad your husband kind of called you out on this negative self talk. And, you know, when I was in therapy, a couple of years ago, when I first started on my healing journey, I would be talking and my therapist would be like, stop did you just hear yourself? And then I was like, what? And then I would repeat what I said and be like, Oh, like I have a lot of negative self-talk and I don't even realize it. I'm not even conscious of it. It's just kind of ingrained. And it took a lot of work to pause and to rewire my brain to stop saying those things because for some weird, like, masochistic reason i thought that if i beat myself up really hard then i'm going to do better next time and it's like that's not the way the world works and that's not the way motivation or your mind works so you harping on a fact that you messed up for like 3 days straight is not going to do anything it's going to rob you of 3 days of
1: peace exactly exactly <laughs> and you know and to your point you know you don't realize the things that you say to yourself And one thing that really got through to me was, you know, everybody says, you know, talk to yourself like you would your best friend. So you think about the bad things that you say about yourself. And it's like, okay, would you say that to your best friend? Or if that doesn't really hit close to home to you, like, would you say that to your mom or dad? Like, you just told yourself that you're stupid, that you suck with money, that you, you know, you're fat or, you know, whatever. Would you say that to your mom or dad? Or would you say that to your kids? You know, or whatever and that's really what put things into perspective like oh my god like i would never say that to my kids like what kind of mother would do that what kind of child would do that to their parents so that's really was i'm like oh my god like i'm being really mean to myself <laughs> so-
0: yeah yeah it's so important to be aware of you know how you're thinking and how that's going to affect your mental health and your behavior. And I think once you bring that awareness to the forefront, like just being aware of your thoughts. And I know when I first started meditating, I was really confused slash intrigued by this idea of I am not my thoughts. And I was like, okay, I, I like that because I have some pretty bad thoughts sometimes, but like, how am I not my thoughts? Because I'm thinking all the time. And I'm not a meditation expert, so I can't quite explain what that means, even though I kind of understand it now further along in the practice. But just knowing that as a concept, like, yeah, I am not my thoughts and I can just observe my thoughts as they come. But I can also try to take an active role in shaping how those thoughts, you know, move through my mind. And I can also yes. decide, you know what? I don't want that thought anymore. I- I'm going to, to just leave it there, like... I don't need that. And I think it's really important, you know, when we're going through bad times, but also good times, to realize that none of it lasts. So, whenever Oh my God,
1: yes.
0: (laughs) So, whenever Mm -hmm. you're, you know, extremely struggling and feeling like I'm going to feel this way forever and I can't deal with this, tomorrow's a new day. And then also when you're having like the best day ever. Enjoy the F out of it because you don't know how you're going to feel tomorrow. So enjoy it for what it is because it's fleeting,
1: all of it. Exactly. I say that all the time. You know, I always say everything has its season. Some seasons may last longer than others, but everything has its season. I mean, like this pandemic is, it feels like a never ending season, but it's going to end at some point. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, everything has its season.
0: Yeah. And I've had so many days just in the past few months where I'll have a really bad mental health day to the point where I can barely work. I'm mostly in bed. I just feel awful. And then the next day I'm like, okay, it's a new day. And then I'll have like a good experience with colleagues or peers or work or friends. And I'll be like, wow, I just can't believe that I had these two days back to back. And it just goes to show that, you know, all of these thoughts are fleeting. So Like I said, if you're suffering, know that things can change. And if you're having a good time, enjoy it because everything in this life is fleeting, including our thoughts.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as you talk about your thoughts, I think something that goes along with that is recognizing your feelings are valid, but your feelings are not facts. You could feel like you're a horrible person because you made a mistake. Like maybe you got into a car accident or I don't know and you feel like a horrible person. And you are completely valid in feeling that way, but it is not a fact. So I think that's something else that, that goes along with, you know, you are not your thoughts, the same line of thinking.
0: Yeah, totally. I th- I totally agree with that. And I think it's important for us to just be aware and realize that, yeah, our thoughts are not facts. They, they are feelings that shift and your feelings shift quite a lot. And actually that kind of reminded me of something that we talked about earlier is this idea of imposter syndrome. You know, I know so many of us have this feeling that we're not good enough that, you know, I'm going to get found out or I'm reaching these different levels of success or in these different areas of my life, but someone's going to take them away from me because I'm not really the expert. And, you know, I I like to joke (laughs) back in the day when we had a different president, like, hey, a reality star became president. So if if he could do that, I mean, I can surely do anything. And honestly, that was a really great imposter syndrome hack for me because I was like, okay, if a reality star can become president, then I can for sure do whatever I set my mind to, and I'm totally qualified. And, you know, you read this stat where Men will apply for jobs if they meet 60% of the requirements where women won't even apply if they don't meet 100%, which I think is holding us back. And it's just, you know, we got to get over that imposter syndrome of feeling like we are not qualified and we are not good enough.
1: You know, I could write a whole nother book about how much imposter syndrome has limited me. Or, you know, I can't even say I limited myself because I let imposter syndrome take control of my life. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's really a shame. There's, there's so much to unpack with that. Uh, A lot of it goes towards, you know, like we said, the the inequalities that we see on a daily basis. And then this is where representation comes into it. I mean, if you are a woman who wants to be a business owner and all you really see are male CEOs, it's going to be much harder for you to feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. I deserve a seat at this table. It's hard. And Representation matters, period. I mean, that's why it's so one of the reasons why it's so monumental to have the president, vice president that we have right now. Like, you know how what an amazing feel it is to see a woman of color in that position? It helps eliminate that imposter syndrome and let every other girl see that this is possible. And, you know, as a black girl, I've heard it. People have told me, yeah, you could be the president, you could be vice president. But it's like, yeah, right. When they're going to get. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like somebody who looks like me. Like, that, that's yeah. a nice try. <laughs> like, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. Um, so it's like representation matters and in, in all of that and in, in helping to eliminate imposter syndrome. And then it goes back to the positive self talk, saying that I deserve to be here. It's something that we have to tell ourselves. More so because there are so many things in the media telling us otherwise. There are so many other things telling us that, no, you don't deserve that, you know, that pay increase. You don't deserve to be in this room. You don't deserve to speak on this panel. You don't deserve to do this or that. or So we need that representation. We need to be reminded that women can do this. We need to be reminded that people of color can do this. Hell, we need to be reminded that somebody who does not have 10,000 followers on Instagram can also speak just as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's a great presentation. <laughs> totally. and You're not an imposter if you don't check those boxes. You still have something. Your, your voice still matters. That's it. That, that, no matter what, your voice still matters. And what you have to offer is, is needed. So it's a shame that imposter syndrome makes us feel otherwise. But, and I mean, I'm working through it too. Like it's a daily thing with me, (laughs) but you know.
0: Yeah. And it requires a lot of self-coaching and kind of realizing what's happening. But I think if you can, you know, kind of like we said earlier, just observe your thoughts and be like, okay, that's a thought, but I'm not going to let it affect me. And I'm not going to, you know, hold back and not apply for this or not pitch myself or not promote what I'm doing. And, you know, I love that you mentioned representations. I think that's super important in making people feel comfortable, making things feel accessible to everyone. And then also just, you know, even having these conversations that it seems like most people have felt this way at one point or another. And so if we've all felt this way, then this is just as common as being happy or sad or excited or joyful. So we don't need to let it dictate our life then if it seems to be a common experience,
1: you know? Exactly. And I think, you know, to your point, it it definitely makes it helpful to hear more people talk about it because, you know, it helps you like, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who feels this way. It is valid. It may not be true because, you know... Your feelings are valid, but they are not facts. It may not be true, but the way I'm feeling, there is some validity to it. So it definitely helps the, the more you hear people talk about it. And, you know, like you, our previous president, that definitely helped my imposter syndrome too. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it definitely <laughs> helped. Um, you know, and even with writing my ebook, I was actually just telling a friend of mine this the other day. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the show Shark Tank. I remember mm-hmm. some years ago, there was this company on Shark Tank where they had a potato and their whole company was just sending potatoes with messages written on it with a Sharpie. And this company <laughs> was, they were really making buck. Like I can't even tell you they, they had to, they were making like $600,000 on it. Wow. So I'm like, all right, if this company is making money just by mailing out a potato with some message like, hello, I miss you on it, then I can surely make money selling an ebook. <laughs> oh I my gosh. Like-
0: <laughs> I have the same feeling whenever I think about the pet rock. I'm like, someone yes. made so much money doing the pet rock thing. Like, if they can have a successful business, so can I. <laughs>
1: right. And that was actually a thing. Like, that was like, a huge believe- thing. Right? So it's like, why are we talking ourselves out of these things that we can actually do that we can actually be great at? People, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I was saying this before, like people actually want to see you win if you allow them the opportunity. Ooh, so stop talking yes. yourself out of that room. Stop saying that it's not going to be success. What if it is? It is a success. Like, what if it goes way better than you imagined? <laughs> so we yeah. need to give ourselves that chance.
0: Yeah. And like, let's say it quote, doesn't succeed. You don't need to label it a failure. Like something that I've been coaching myself on is like, it's just information. It's just data. Like, what can you learn from this? Like, it doesn't have to mean anything unless we ascribe meaning to it. But if you hosted a workshop and two people showed up, you don't have to say that that's a failure. You can say, "What could I do differently next time?" Or "What do I think was the issue?" Or maybe I can, you know, pull those two people and see what they thought about it, and kind of problem solve and think of things differently. But we don't have to automatically label things as a failure if they don't work out. It's just a different data point,
1: right? Exactly. I love the way you put that. Actually, I like to, I always used to say it's just a lesson. But the data point. I think makes it less personal. Because even when you say, like, it's it's just a lesson learned, you still sort of feel a little bit of, like, guilt. Well, that was a hard lesson. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When you say data, it seems more factual. I like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Well, talking about um, data and money and finance. So I know you used to write a lot about personal finance. And so I'm curious, you know, where are you at right now? And what are you doing to build wealth in the long run? And, you know, kind of, like you said, manage your student loans, but also enjoy life.
1: So I am glad you asked this. So I am still actively going towards being debt free. It is still a goal of mine. However, an equal goal of mine is creating passive income. Um, Hence one of the reasons why I wrote this ebook, why I am actually looking more in towards, towards investing and why I I still have a side hustle. I mean, as you mentioned, I'm a dance fitness instructor. That actually is my side hustle to pay off student loans because life is too short or long (laughs) to do things (laughs) that you cannot stand. So I'm, I'm like, you know what, if, if my side hustle does not bring me joy, then I'm not doing it. I don't want any part of it. So I <laughs> yes. actually do, I do Zumba and I teach pound fitness. And the money I make towards that is extra money that I pay more student loans. So I'm paying it off and I'm still enjoying life. I still allow myself to have hobbies. As I mentioned, I pole dance and it's actually an expensive hobby. And sometimes I would feel guilty about it because, you know, the cost of a poll is like a good like $300 and classes are like $15 to $25. But it's money well spent because it brings me joy, um, which is all a big part of personal finance. I think when it comes to personal finance, there's so much guilt in regards to you. You're bad with money. You shouldn't have spent your money on this. You shouldn't have gone to that, that school or, you know, there's so much guilt and they they forget about the part, the part of joy. Like, I'm sorry. Every financial decision you make is emotional. Every single one. Sometimes you spend money out of guilt. Sometimes you spend money out of happiness. Sometimes you spend money in embarrassment. Sometimes you spend because you're angry. Every purchase, everything with money is emotional and that's what personal finance misses. Um, so when I spend money, I'm making sure it's it's making me happy in some way. I'm like, what's the takeaway from this? How is this helping me either pay off debt, bring joy to my life or build wealth? How is this making my life better? So that's my stance on personal finance right now. Just There's just so much guilt involved with it. And I was, it was just a turnoff. It was really a turnoff.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that because, you know, I've been in the debt-free community for eight years now. And obviously, I consider Mental Health and Wealth, um, the website and this podcast as kind of an extension of Dear Debt, kind of like Dear Debt's sister. And the reason I even started this podcast is because there's so much guilt and shame in money. Like those are the two most common emotions that I hear again and again and again is this feeling of guilt and shame. And I love that you brought up this topic of joy that, yes, how do we get into more happy money? I actually just interviewed author Ken Honda, the author of Happy Money, which... You know, he talks about enjoying your money, saying thank you when you spend it and thank you when yes. you receive it and, and having these feelings of, of positivity and not just this strenuous relationship. I mean, think about if you were in a relationship with your money. I mean, that was the whole <laughs> kind of uh, concept around dear debt is like being in a relationship with your debt. But right. let's say you were in a relationship with your money. Like, would you consider it healthy? Like if that was a person? The way you treat it, the way you feel about it, like I don't think so. You know, I think for a lot of people you'd be like, oh, if this was a person, I would have like dumped you after day two, (laughs) you know? So it's like Exactly. We gotta we gotta fix our relationship with money also.
1: Right. And you know, that that's why I had to start telling myself trust in abundance. And you know, I also had to tell myself that I am good with money. We have this notion in our minds that people that are quote unquote poor are bad with money. But in reality, when you think about it, the people who are not rich are the best with money. Anybody can make things happen if you got a million dollars. It's the people who are making things happy when they're making $2,000 a month. Those are the people that are actually good with money. So I had to tell myself, you know what? I am pretty damn good with money. Like, do we see all this I made happen with just this amount in in my bank account? Sure, somebody who's making six figures a year can make it happen, but that came easy to them. They have the money to do it. When you have a little bit of money and you are making things happen and you have somewhere to live. You are still trying to enjoy life. You are paying your bills. You are eating. You are pretty good with money. You need to give yourself credit. And that is what the debt-free community misses. They like to give all this information like, oh, well, if you didn't buy this money, you'd spend your money on Starbucks, and yeah, you would have done this. Or maybe you could allow me to have my Starbucks and still be resourceful and make things happen. Because people who don't have money, they are the most resourceful and they will make things happen. And that is what I had to learn myself. I'm like, look at all this stuff that I just did. And I am certainly not rich, but I made it happen. So we need to get rid of that notion. Like We need to stop vilifying the poor. That's really what we do as a society. We vilify the poor. No. Yes.
0: Yes, and it's like there's so much context missing from these conversations when we vilify the poor. It's like, oh, how come no one has touched on the fact that wages have been stagnant for like 30, 40 plus years? How come no one's talking about the fact that school, childcare and healthcare are outrageously expensive. So it's like, hmm, wages haven't gone up in decades, but school, childcare and healthcare have all skyrocketed. Hmm, no wonder the numbers aren't making sense. Like that is not a personal failing for people you know and it's like i feel like that should be a caveat in every single personal finance article it's like yes. oh by the way wages haven't gone up and healthcare and education and childcare have skyrocketed so whenever we're considering people's financial situations both their struggles exactly. and their successes
1: we need to look at that <laughs> right you are not a personal failure the system failed you that's really what what happened and that is what people keep missing and they forget the luck aspect of it you know, I, I'm actually writing an article about this um, that's due soon, but um, it's basically about, we keep hearing about these success stories and, you know, hard work is going to get too far. I'm like, and yeah, it will. But we forget about the aspect of luck. I know for myself, I live in a very expensive area, as do you in California. New Jersey is not cheap whatsoever. <laughs> and actually, I found out that it's just as expensive as LA, at least the area that I live I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> so... Yeah. I remember when I was pregnant with my second son at the time I was living in a one bedroom apartment a 600 square foot apartment with my myself my husband and my son and I was pregnant with my second son and I'm like all right we have to do something we can't have four people in this little apartment we have to move what are the options you know you have to pay a ridiculous amount of rent and basically not be able to live comfortably or I move to a not nice area where I could afford the rent, but you know I had a, a child. I had to focus on school. Tell me why I was on the affordable housing list. And I finally came up in the list after a three year wait that aligned perfectly with the end of my lease and my son being born. Wow. And that was pure luck. Because of that, we were able to move into a much bigger condo, Paying less than I was before in my other place, and it allows me to get ahead in my debt. It allows me to save for my future. Now, that is luck. I mean, was it hard work for me to sit there and raise my credit score so I could be, you know, approved for this department? Was it hard work for me to save the security so I can actually live here? Yes, but we cannot miss the luck aspect. A lot of the people that have financial success right now got lucky. You got lucky that you weren't diagnosed with cancer, to, you know, yesterday that drained your emergency savings. You got lucky that your boss did not, you know, end up in a pyramid scheme. So he just got, you know, sued and <laughs> you're out of a job. You got lucky yeah. that you didn't get into a car accident that disabled your car so that you can't get to work. A lot of personal finance success is luck based. Yes.
0: I actually just finished the book psychology of money, which I highly recommend. Um, both the ebook, And psychology of money will be in the show notes for listeners. And one of the chapters was on luck and risk and how they are two sides of the same coin. But depending on who you are, where you are, like either one can be hit down at any time. And yeah, luck plays a very big role in our personal finances. And that's something that we need to consider as well. And like also, (laughs) you know, not let it affect us and be like, I'm not a personal failure. Like, there's so much luck and privilege that I can and can't control, you know?
1: Exactly. And, you know, I feel like we – you're not telling this whole story. I mean, we talk so much about transparency. But – you're not being fair to your audience or whoever, if you're just telling, you know, the one part of it, like people ask me all the time, like, wow, how did you get to live here? Like, yeah, I could tell them it was hard work raising my credit score. It was hard work paying off this debt. But honestly, I was on a wait list for three years. And I just got lucky that my name got pulled in the lottery at the right time. That lined up perfectly with my lease ending on my old place. Like that is luck. The stars aligned in my favor. And it does not mean that, other people can't get lucky. It does not discredit hard work, but we have to tell the whole story because otherwise yes. you're you're doing a disservice to everybody else and it's not an accurate representation of personal finance.
0: Yes, I think context is so important and that's what I aim for with this show and with all of my writing to make sure that we are providing context around all of these, you know, personal finance stories and mental health stories as well. So I so have loved having you on the show. I'm curious, do you have any parting quotes or affirmations to share and where can people find you?
1: I definitely have quotes. The question is which one? <laughs> um, but the one quote that I definitely you know live by daily is in everything I do, I lead with love. And that quote speaks to me because, you know, going back to our conversation of regret, when you lead with love, there's less room for regret because even if things don't work out the way you would like to, at least, you know, you were doing it for the right reason and you have your data, just like <laughs> you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's definitely something that I, I would leave, you know, in everything you do, lead with love. And where can you find me? I'm everywhere. My favorite place is Twitter. I know this, like, so passe now and like, oh, but Twitter <laughs> is where it's at. I agree. (laughs) Um, My name is Terrific Words. I am on Instagram as Terrific Words. And I do have my website, www.terrificwords.com. And from there, you can find my blog, which has some uplifting content, some personal finance advice, some, you know, self-care, a little bit of everything. Um, But Yeah, I'm around just, you know, trying to be terrific, terrific words. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Love it. Love it.
1: Thank you so much for
0: listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the Mental Hump newsletter and get our free mental health and money inventory worksheet. You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com and also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a mental health and wealth hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific to chat about all things money and mental health. The best part, it is free. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review. And you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.